I hope y'all are ready to respond because I have some good news for all of us today. Now, a couple days ago, uh, one of my kids, he's going to go un- unnamed for the sake of this story. He was, he was bossing around one of my other kids. Happens from time to time. So I say to the first kid, hey, stop telling your brother what to do. And he looks at me and says, but you're telling me what to do. To which I said, yeah, I'm your dad. Get upstairs. <laughs> Today, we're talking about authority. And it's not the perceived authority that a brother holds over another brother. And it is not the constantly tested authority of a parent. It is the ultimate and final and complete authority over all things in heaven and on earth. What do we mean by authority? Well, the one who has authority holds all the power. They, they call all the shots. It's what they say is what goes. It's what we answer to. It has the final say. Everything else is underneath this highest authority and must submit to that which reigns above it all. I am, of course, talking about the all-powerful creator, sustainer of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the one who holds it all together, the one who reigns over and above it all, God Almighty. The true and triune God has authority over all things. And we know Jesus Christ came to earth with all authority over heaven and earth. And we also know not everyone could accept this. And that's what we're talking about today. We're in our 10th week of Follow Me. We are going through the gospel of Mark chapter by chapter, longing to be reawakened to what it truly means to follow Jesus, to love like him, to live like him, to lead others into a living relationship with him. And where we find ourselves today in Mark chapter 11, it marks the beginning of that first holy week. And so from here until we hit Easter, we are in the final act. Because, because everything that happened here now was this one incredible week that was the culmination of what Jesus came to do. Before this, you may remember that Jesus would often heal someone and tell them, tell not what I have done. Or a demon will profess who Jesus is and he will force them to be silent. But here in the final act, Jesus enters into Jerusalem triumphantly. He is no longer put in a hold on his presence being made fully known to the people. And so he comes into uh, this face of his opposition. It's the most public of his acts for his followers at this point in time. And then in the next day, after his triumphal entry, it's his most public obstruction to his opposers because he cleans out that temple. He flips tables. He runs them out. This will be a house of prayer, he says. And then we have a whole thing with the fig tree as well. Now, that is a whole other message, the fig tree. And in fact, I already preached on it, actually. It was, a, it was August 9, 2020, okay? Believe it or not, it was August 9, 2020. It was our series called Wait What? 
And I talked about Jesus. Was he hangry? <laughs> he seemed hungry and angry. And we figured out what is going on with this fig tree in this temple. And it's another mark and sandwich of temple, fig tree, temple, fig tree. If you are curious to learn about that, go to our website and you can go find that message, August 9, 2020. Fun fact, that was our first uh, worship service back together as a worshiping body in person. It was an outdoor service during the beginning of COVID there. It was August 9. And so you'll hear birds chirping in the background. You'll have to pump up your volume to hear it. But we were outside. It was pretty cool. Um, But that gives a thorough breakdown on that first part of Mark 11 if you want to hear that. We're focusing on the other part, the last part of Mark 11. Because Jesus' disruption in the temple, that was pretty significant. And that riled some people up. And that is proven, in fact, in the third day in a row that Jesus comes into the temple. And that's where we're picking up today. Mark 11, verses 27 through 33. So let's together open our hearts to the true word of the Lord. So they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority do you do these things? They asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? So Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven? That is, was that from God? Or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves, and they said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... Well, you see, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And so Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Thank God for the reading of his word. Oh, man. So it's it's the third day a different third day, but a third day where he comes into the temple once more. And, and he walks in, and he's just kind of walking around. And this is Jesus, right? He's just walking around the temple. The day before, he was in there flipping tables, and now Jesus is just walking around. You know all eyes are on him. First the parade, flipping tables. Now what is he going to be up to? But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders meet him, right? You see, they make up what is called the Sanhedrin. It, it was a high court of the Jews. It was 71 members. The chief priests are the politicians of it. And, and, and the rest of them, they make up the Sanhedrin. But they also act together as guardians of the temple and the status quo in Rome. So when they knew of Jesus clearing out the temple, they saw that as a direct challenge to their authority. Anyone here like their authority being questioned? Any parent like it when your kid talks back and says, you, like, no, no. So they didn't like that Jesus was doing this, but he came in, he flipped tables under their watch, and so they arrived, the big wigs, to question and once again try and trap Jesus, to be done with him once and for all. 
and they question his authority. They, they present him with this question because, because they, if he says, if Jesus says to them, I'm doing this on God's authority, then they can rightfully charge him, not rightfully, but they believe rightfully, charge him with blasphemy. And if he says it's on his own authority he's doing this, they can charge him with disruption and undermining their own authority. So they're trying to trap him. But again, Jesus will not be trapped. And he answers their question with the question. This is a a typical flow within kind of Jewish rhetoric and debate, okay? And he's engaging with them in this way. He answers their question with a question, and his question to them essentially boils down to, hey, do you think God was behind John the Baptist's mission or not? And it, it reminds me of like a family feud where they all like huddle together. And they're like talking and they're trying to figure out, hey, what do we say? How do we go about it, right? Because Jesus has them. You guys remember John the Baptist, of course. He was kind of the wild guy eating locusts and wearing camel hair and all of this stuff. He was a prophet. We write about him way back in Mark chapter 1. He baptized people for the forgiveness of their sins. And he pointed to the one who was to come after him that was more powerful than he. And as you know, he ended up baptizing Jesus in that most miraculous way. He's the one who pointed to Jesus saying, he's going to be the one. The one to come after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's the one whose sandals I'm unfit to untie. That's who John, his entire ministry was about pointing and preparing the way for Jesus. He was a prophet. He was believed by the people at that time to be a prophet. And we know throughout this time, Jesus' fame has grown substantially, right? But John the Baptist, his fame was already high as well, and it remained. In fact, after his beheading, he also became a martyr. And people knew and respected and admired and believed John the Baptist and his message. At least the people did. The authorities, not so much. You see, John clearly testified to the divine source of Jesus' mission. If they recognized the divine authority of John the Baptist's mission, if they answered Jesus' question, it was from heaven, it was from God, then they would be forced to also recognize Jesus and his cleansing of the temple as the legitimate exercise of his own authority. The question they asked, by what authority? They asked Jesus this question, by what authority? It indicates that they, they don't care necessarily just about what Jesus did. It's more so his right to do it. You don't even have the right. How dare you do this? But then they had a second question. Did you notice that? Who gave you authority to do these things? It's an interesting question because it it reveals that no one possesses the authority on their own to do what Jesus does. They recognize this is from somewhere else. No one person can do these things on their own authority. Such authority, in fact, could only come from God. But if Jesus claims that, they will charge him of blasphemy. But in Jesus' trap of them, if they say God's behind John the Baptist's mission and message, they have to acknowledge Jesus' mission and message for John because it validated Jesus. And then it just, don't you love how, especially this translation, it just kind of trails off, but they dare not go against the word of John, dot, dot, dot. And then in parentheses, the author, you know, John Mark, uh, fills it in for us. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid of the people. 
We dare not go against them because we'd be going against the people and we're afraid of the people and the authority and the power that we have and we love would be challenged. And they don't want anything to do with that. Here's the thing. Understanding the authority of Jesus and claiming Jesus as our authority means we need not be afraid. These people were afraid because they had a misplaced authority. It was in themselves and not in the Savior. But if we claim Jesus as our authority, we acknowledge him as our authority, we need not be afraid because there is nothing in this world that he doesn't reign over. If we place our hopes in lesser authorities, then we will live in fear. Absolutely. Because when our authority, our lesser authority is challenged and ultimately crumbles, it brings us down with it, and then where do we go? For our faith crumbles with it. The priests and, and the leaders here believed on their own authority. They did not believe in Jesus's, and they dare not go against public opinion because they would lose their own authority. Recognizing Jesus has trapped them again, they say, we don't know. We don't know. More so, I would say, it's closer to say, we're unwilling to know. And of course, Jesus doesn't give them the answer. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the answer then because he will not commit himself to those who refuse to commit themselves to him. See, the, the leaders chose to be willfully ignorant, willfully disobedient, choosing their own authority over God, choosing the fear of the people over the fear of the Lord. They were not actually looking for the truth. If they were seeking the truth, they would have found it. What does Jesus say? Seek and you will find, right? They would have found it because they didn't need to look much past their nose because it was standing right before them. I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. But they could not see. And they revealed just another example of what Jesus says in John 3, verse 19. People love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So we're not here today to, to focus in on the chief priests and the Pharisees and the leaders. No, we're going to talk about Jesus and the authority of our Lord and Savior. I trust all of you have seen The Lion King before. <laughs> if not, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Great movie. Um, there's a scene. Mufasa is sitting with Simba, and they're looking over all of Pride Rock. And in that James Earl Jones voice, he says that everything the light touches is our kingdom. Remember that scene? It's a powerful scene. And the light touches a whole lot, doesn't it? But then there's that shadowy area, the hyenas area, right? And all that. Yeah, we don't go there. We don't touch that. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. He's proclaiming where they have authority and where they don't. Well, bring it to Jesus in that metaphor. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. His light touches absolutely everything. There is no place you can go where the light of Jesus is not shining. He is the light of the world. Indeed, God, through Jesus, spoke light into being. He is the light of the world. Everything the light touches is his kingdom and the light touches all. It is his kingdom. 
This is what Jesus came to proclaim when he said, repent and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of God is here. Jesus's kingdom is without borders. It is without end. And so is his authority. Don't take it at Mufasa's word. Take it at the very words of Jesus Christ. The last words he said to his disciples before his ascension into heaven, this is after his resurrection, he says to them to to preface the great commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't give that answers to the Pharisees, but he had that authority. And now he tells it to his followers and he tells us again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You're not wild up enough yet. So maybe you're an Old Testament kind of person. Okay, you should have a more holistic approach. The whole Bible is the true word of the Lord for us. But it is all throughout the Old Testament too. I was reading in my devotions the day I was about to prep some of this work. And I read Psalm 138. And what does it say in Psalm 138, the first couple verses? I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before God, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And then what? For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God's name and God's word is exalted above all because he is the ultimate authority. It is littered throughout scripture from front to back. And even, you don't even have to look past our gospel of Mark just the quickest little glimpse into how Jesus shows his authority over and over and over. His very first public experience, uh, uh, appearance in Mark, he astounds the people in the synagogue with the authority over the Torah experts and also his authority over the demonic world. That was his very first public act. And then his teaching and his powers over the, the, the demons obviously derive from his divine authority. What else does he do? He's constantly laying claim to characteristics that otherwise only belong to God. He has the authority. He claims in chapter 2 to forgive sins. He has the authority. He claims supremacy over the Torah and even the Sabbath. It was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. He has the authority. He later, in chapter 15, replaces the temple as the place where God meets humanity. He has the authority. He calls God an intimate, a familiar, a relational, endearing term of Abba, Father. He has the authority. He frequently speaks with the authority of God. He will say, truly I say to you. And to those who don't earn the truth, he will say, neither will I tell you. He has the authority. And here in the temple before the Sanhedrin, the most authoritative place and before the most authoritative body of these people in Israel, Jesus opens a window of understanding into his own authority. And what do we learn? That all Jesus does, all Jesus says, all his actions, all through, come through the authority that belongs only to God. He is the highest authority there is. There is none greater, there is none higher than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if you follow Jesus, 
You've come to, to recognize this and experience this and proclaim this for yourself. It's that first act, after all, is saying, all you are, you are God. I am not. I give my life to you, and I surrender to you. You're my authority. But even if you're seeking Jesus, or even for those who are ambivalent about Jesus, or even those who are downright and outright rejecting Jesus, even they will come to accept Jesus' authority in the end. For our true word tells us, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Alpha way before there ever was the beginning. He is the Omega. He will be their way after the end of this world. He is the one who is. And he has all authority for all time. All time. Do you accept the authority of Jesus in and over your life? Do you accept it? Do you claim it? Do you proclaim it? Do you, do, you, do you give thanks for it? Is he your highest authority? Or are you living your life ascribing it to a lesser gospel? I got news for all of us, friends. There is no such thing as a lesser gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one source of good news, and it is Jesus Christ. Don't choose a lesser choice. Don't choose a lesser choice. Don't be like the chief priest. Don't choose the way of this world. Don't, don't go the way of the news or don't worship in the way of this twisted American gospel that presents itself as good news, but it only leads to death. All those things are counterfeits and will rob you of your life. There is only one gospel. There's only one alone who has authority over death. There's only one source alone of good news, and it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our authority. He is our authority. And so everything, everything, everything in our lives must submit to him. And this all-authoritative Lord of the universe and everything in it astounds me to no end, gives us the choice to follow him. Does that amaze you? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to give you the choice. He could force us all to worship him, or he could just, he could do whatever he wants. All power is his. He gives us the choice. He asks us. He asks us. This is our loving Savior with all authority. He says, follow me. Follow me. And when we answer, I will follow you, we now claim Jesus as our authority. To follow him, we become messengers then of the very good news that we ourselves have received. You guys know the expression, don't shoot the messenger, don't kill the messenger? Yeah, you guys know it. It's a powerful the reason that's a saying is powerful because back in the day, an official messenger of a king or a queen held all the authority of the king. 
So when they came with a message from the king, they had the words of the king, they had a message to share from the king, they carried with them the very authority of the king themselves that they represented. So you don't shoot the messenger because you will start a war. It's on par with killing a king, okay? When we speak the good news of Jesus Christ, we speak his true word, we speak with the very authority of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit is in you. The very power of Christ is with you. His word tells us that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, that is Jesus' authority over death, and the word of our testimony. That is Jesus' authority in our lives that we get to speak through his Holy Spirit. The power of Jesus, the death-defying power of Jesus, the all-authoritative power of Jesus lives in you. And so, knowing his authority, we know who holds power over all things. And knowing that we can claim his very authority, knowing his presence is with us, we then can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding and any circumstance as we seek to love, live, and lead like Jesus. This passage is hanging up in my office wall, Colossians 3. And it's a, it's a guide for how we're called to live like Christ, how we're called to live as he lived and let him rule, let his authority truly rule in our lives. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you're called to peace. We're called together to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and you admonish one another with all wisdom through songs, through hymns, through songs from the Spirit, through singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That is sharing the words God has given us. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it what? All in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of Jesus. We submit ourselves to God, and then we live our lives as messengers of the King of Kings, calling on the authority of the one who brings life. You have things in your life right now. You have hard things in your life right now. You have sicknesses in your life right now. You have longings. You have heartaches. You have questions. You have worries. You have, you have desires within you. May you call on the name of Jesus. Do not combat those things alone. Because Jesus alone heals the sick. Jesus alone raises the dead to life. My, my good friend Mark would say, and has said, Jesus holds such power, such authority. You know when he raised Lazarus to life? He had to be specific and call Lazarus by name. Lazarus, come out of that grave. For if he didn't say Lazarus, all the dead would rise. That is the power and the authority of the name and Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus alone can rescue. Jesus alone saves. It's Jesus alone. 
and his authority that reigns over you will also reign through you by the very power of the Holy Spirit. So that means whatever you're carrying, we bring to him in Jesus' name. He has authority over your sickness. He has authority over your sadness. He has authority over your troubles. He has authority over your trials. He has authority over your confusion. He has authority over your misdirection. He has authority over your desperation. He has authority over your life. So being children, children of God, children of the King, messengers of the good news of the King of Kings, we call on Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name. We hope in Jesus' name. We believe in Jesus' name. We carry all these things to him in Jesus' name, believing in our being, core to who we are as children of the King, that he can move the mountains in our life. Jesus proclaimed this himself in this very chapter when he's talking about the fig tree. If you simply actually believe it to be true within you, you can move mountains with the faith in you because you're calling on my power. We pray, we believe, we call, we hope in Jesus' name. And when we do, we're not acting on our own authority or power, but on that of the one who reigns supreme. He has authority over it all. He is the authority over it all. And so we bring it all to him. We trust in his power. We trust in his might. We trust into his authority. And so that means we also surrender to his will. Knowing no matter what he decides, no matter what happens, even when we can't fathom it or understand it, he is still good. He's still who he says he is. He's still who the scriptures proclaim he is. He is still in control over and above all things, and he is at work actively even now to bring all things to his glory and for our ultimate good. And so even when things don't go as we want or plan, we still trust he is good. We still worship him. We still give him our lives because the only alternative is death. He has a plan. Anything you face in this life must submit to the power and the will of the Father. And we are assured that through God's true word, through Jesus Christ, the living word, because Jesus has proven his authority over all things and through all things with his victory over death, he's overcome. He is victorious. The victory is found in Jesus Christ alone. And so we, too, as his beloved people, will also overcome anything. Anything. Anything this world will bring us, we too will overcome. Because the victory is already won. It's already secured. We've already done it. Not us, but him in this world. Jesus is over and above it all. There is no greater comfort in this world than to know that the Savior who holds the world and the universe in his hand holds us in the palm of his hand. And nothing can ever pluck us out of that warm and safe and welcoming and all-consuming embrace. Thank God 
that he has authority and we do not. Thank God he is our God and we are not. Thank God that he is who he is and he is so worthy of our worship and our praise. That's the good news. That's the good news for us today. And we will respond by being people of this good news, sharing this good news. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, you sent your Son who came and, and, and defeated death and, and rose us to new life with him. And you have given us a way. You have been the truth. You are our life. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And so we again surrender and submit ourselves to you and trust in your goodness, your path, your plan, the good news you have for us today. God, whatever you're stirring up in our hearts now, I pray that you just open the floodgates within our lives so that we can respond to your good news, so that we can be messengers of who you are and what you've done in our lives. There's not a moment you're not at work, all to your glory and for our good. And you've invited us to be a part of that. So God, over all things, we claim Jesus' name and power and authority. Over the sickness in our families, we speak Jesus' name. Over the stress and the worries and the concerns, we speak Jesus' name. Over everything in our lives, we speak Jesus' name and entrust it to you and trust in your will, for you already have secured the victory. You have overcome, and we too will overcome because of you. We love you, God, and so now we will respond in song to this very good news. Pray this all in the might and the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.